You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Recorded live. Encourage anybody that can to stand. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. 
Father, we praise and worship you, love you, Father, and we thank you for this day, we thank you for this seventh day of the week, thank you for this great fiesta, thank you for time to get outdoors and in nature, away from our normal lives, away from our normal routine, and Special days have been set aside for us to focus upon you, think upon you, think about your ways in the future, remember the past, the present, and the future. And so we appreciate these days. And many of us have either have already had rain or rain is in the forecast. So we ask your Father that if it so be your will, that you would please consider moving the rain away, lessening the rain, reducing the rain, uh, returning, returning warmer weather for some people. And but whether it's rain or sunshine, calm or storm, may we always think upon you, think of how blessed we are, and remember your love, your grace, your mercy, your strength upon us, even in the trial of time of tribulation. That we do not be over-mummering or over-anxious or distressed, but content with your thermostat, that you control the thermostat, that we're content with your temperature, your weather, your plan for us, we're content to be tested, and we pray that we pass all the tests, that our emotions be in check, our thoughts and our heart be in check. That means 
in alignment with your will. That we not be out of patrol like the people at the base of the mountain when Moses came down. Those people that were out of control in their mind and their hearts and their actions. We don't want to be like them. That we want our heart, our mind to be perfectly aligned with your spirit and with your will. So as the storms rage, when it gets cold, when the earth shakes, when the wind blows, help us to be content, think upon positive things, think upon your love, your mercy, your grace, and your kingdom above all else. Help us to trust in you, believe in you, and have faith in you against all odds. Father, we ask for your special help in this service. We ask, Father, for your anointing. In Jesus' holy name, your will be done. Amen. So we're going to start in Revelation chapter 3. Revelation 3. And Dealing with a strong breeze at times. So it's going to be kind of a, a trowel to keep up with our papers and pages and stuff. But, but we'll deal with it. Amen. Thank you, Father, for a grand test. Thank you, Jesus, for helping For the record, today's date in the Roman Catholic calendar is October the 7th, 2017 A.D., in the year of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now I've said this many times, but I need to say this today. The reason I say it's October 7th in the Roman Catholic calendar is because history shows you that the Roman Empire, the Catholic Church, put the name upon the month. In the Bible, they're simply called first month, second month, third month, so on. Same thing with the days of the week. But Babylon, Assyria, different empires, and eventually the Roman Empire put names upon the months and the days of the week. In October, simply means Eight, eight months. And the reason October means eight, from octagon, eight-sided octagon, eight, is because before the calendar, before the calendar was adjusted to have January as the first month, 
the first month actually began in the spring. That didn't even get changed to something like 1600, 1700s, something like that. So it's not really been that long ago. So they changed the beginning of the year. They changed New Year's from springtime near the spring equinox to January 1st, which is not really the first day of the year. The first day of the year is very close to the spring equinox, March, April. So if you start in March or April, eventually October would be the eighth month. So that's how it got its name. Now, the word October is not pagan. But not every month is named after the number. Now, September means seven. So September is okay. That's not pagan. October, eighth, that's okay. I'm not for sure what November is, but it's on the website, what it means. I'm not for sure about a lot of the others, but I know January is a pagan name. It's not after a number. It's named after a pagan god. January, I think February, March, April. March is named after Mars. Yeah, March is named after Mars because they worship the planet Mars and the god Mars, the goddess demon Mars. So March is a pagan evil name. But like I said, some months are only named after the numbers. And that reveals to you that they changed New Year's. And the reason they changed New Year's to January 1st is to extend the Christmas season. And New Year's being January 1st is just as pagan as Christmas Day. We, as the true followers of Jesus Christ, we abstain from Halloween because it's very clearly satanic. Anybody that says Halloween is not satanic, they are totally blind, dead, miserable, lost, ignorant, and foolish. I mean, that's just simply the truth. That's not being harsh. That is simply the truth, the reality of it. But then we also abstain from Easter and Christmas, that we should also abstain from January 1st celebrations because that is not New Year's. It's just an extension of Christmas. That's what it is. So when we celebrate New Year's of January 1st, we're still celebrating Christmas. Now, so I gave you the date of the Roman Catholic calendar that they that they changed October from being the eighth month to the tenth month. This is not the tenth month, but I'm telling you that if we look at the calendar, it's October seventh. Now I give you God's calendar in comparison to that. In God's calendar, this is the seventh month. Because the first month starts in the spring, near the spring equinox, March, April. So this is the seventh month in reality. Now, it will be the eighth month later this month. That's why October means eighth. It's because before October is done with, it will actually be the eighth month. Because not only did they change the first day of the year, but they also changed the first day of the month. 
really October 1st was not the first day, but rather the first day of any month is the first day that the moon starts returning from complete darkness. Every month, you have one, two, or three days of no moon at all, complete darkness. And then the very first day that the moon begins a new phase, a little tiny crescent, new crescent, that is the first day of the month. The word month comes from the word moon. Moon and month means exactly the same thing. When you say many moons ago, you're saying many months ago. So a new moon coming back from complete darkness to begin a new moon starting with a crescent, it's not only a new moon but a new month. But when you look at a calendar that gives you the lunar phrases, don't trust where it says new moon. Because the astro, astronomical term of new moon is not the same as what we call new moon. We call new moon when there's actually a return of the moon, when the moon is no longer dark, but beginning a crescent. But astronomical, the astronomers call a new moon a complete dark moon, when there is no moon. That ain't no new moon, that's no moon. That they call it a new moon. So that shows you that shows you the stability of some of the science. Now we respect some science, but some science is foolishness to God. The Bible says so. And a lot of people get upset when I say the word stupid every 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 time I speak, I say the word sermon. Uh, uh, in any sermon I say the word stupid. And people get very, 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 very upset about that. But oh well. That is the kindest word. The Bible says stupid. It's in the Bible. And there's no difference between being foolish and stupid. Exactly the same thing. And the Bible uses that word many times. And so we, when we keep the Feast of Tabernacles, the first day of the fiesta, the first day of the feast, is the 15th day of the seventh month. And what that means is a complete full moon on the first day of the fiesta of tabernacles. So if we had no calendar to go by, we could tell time with the moon and the sun and the stars. The stars play a part in this as well as far as what time of year it is, what month it is. Uh, and the, the day begins at sunrise. So this is the clock that God created for us because they didn't have clocks and phones and computers thousands of years ago. They had the sun and the moon and the stars and they told time by the constellations and by the sun and by the moon. And this way God created it. That is God's calendar. That is God's clock when we look up into the sky. So a sundial is completely fine. That is not pagan. So, this is the seventh month. Now, what day was the first of the feast? Thursday. So, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Now, Thursday was the first day of the feast. That's the 15th of the month, of the seventh month. So, 15, 16, 17. So, today would be 17th, right? 17th day of the seventh 
months, then you keep counting. Now, some days have 29 days. Some days have 30 days in God's calendar, in the, in the lunal, lunal cycle. So even though the Roman calendar may have 28, 29, 30, 31, the lunar calendar that God created has 29 to 30 days each month. And occasionally, you have to add a 13th year. Just like in a Roman calendar, you have a leap year to make up the differences, to catch up with time. And in God's calendar, occasionally, we have to add a 13th month in order to rectify and align the holy days to keep Passover in the spring, not in the winter, and so forth. That. And we don't we don't add a thirteenth month we do not add a thirteenth month on an exact number of years. We don't say every two years, every three years, every four years, but rather we add that thirteenth month when it is necessary to keep all the holy days of the entire year in their proper season. Passover in the spring, close to the spring equinox, and the feast of tabernacles in the autumn of the year, not in the winter. So forth. Okay, so that's just a brief explanation. And if anybody has not yet read the article, I encourage them to do so of God's created calendar on the website at I saw the light ministries dot com slash new moons dot html for the article God's created calendar. It'll give you more details, and on that same page it will give you a printable calendar where you can print out the calendar for this year, next year, the next year, the next year, all throughout the end of 2021. So I really encourage people to print out those calendars that gives you the first day, what gives you all the holy days. It's what it gives you. Okay. Now let's move forward to Revelation chapter 3. And today we're going to be talking about God's kingdom. Kingdom government is the title of today's sermon. Kingdom government. In this world, we have presidents, governors, mayors, so forth, ranks of government, different people appointed to government. Some nations, we have elections. Other nations, it's dictatorships. What kind of government does God have? Now, the Western world kind of idolizes democracy. Some nations idolize communism. Some nations upon this earth idolize Islam, so forth. What type of government does God have? God's government is called a theocracy. Theo Theocracy, theocracy, meaning it is run by God. It is God-centered, and God is the president, God is the king, God is the head. It's controlled by God. It's not completely controlled by man. God is supreme. God is sovereign. But in God's kingdom, there is a place for mankind, his children. Romans 8 talks about that we are the children of God and that we inherit his kingdom, 
his universe, his creation, everything that he made, we will inherit all these things. In Romans 3, starting in verse 19, Romans 3, 19, those whom I love, I convict, convict you of your sins in your mind, your heart. He starts making you feel guilty to get you to repent. Those whom I love, I convict and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Symbolically, spiritually, he's knocking on our hearts. And he is also symbolically, spiritually knocking upon the prophetic timetable. We see the signs of the times. We see end-time world events, prophecies coming to pass. And in that way, he's knocking, telling us to repent. And if anyone hears my voice through all of this and wolfens the door, wolfens your heart, wolfens your understanding, wolfens your mind to receive his words, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. This goes back to Passover. Because on Passover day, in the spring of the year, every year, we take communion. And that is dining with Jesus. On the very last night that he walked upon the earth before he died, he ate a meal, the Passover meal, on Passover night with his disciples. And he took the wine, real wine, and he took unleavened bread. He blessed both of those one at a time. He distributed to the 11 men that was around him. And they took communion. And we do that every year. The Bible instructs us to continue to do that until he comes. Jesus said on that last night, I won't be able to do this anymore with you until I come. And we're going to dine with him again when we're called up to heaven for the marriage feast of the Lord, for the marriage supper of the Lord, if we rise in the first resurrection. There are two resurrections, and only some people rise in the first resurrection. And if we rise in the first resurrection, we will enter heaven for only a short time of around 41 and a half days at the end of the tribulation and not before. And we will dine with him in heaven. But not, not only then, but even now, if we open up our hearts, open the door up to Jesus, allow him to come into our lives, into our hearts, into our bodies, if we invite him in, and say, yes, Lord, I accept you, I will live for you, and we invite the Holy Ghost into us, then he even dines with us now. When we're all by ourselves, nobody around, that he is present with us. And we're never truly alone, but he is with us. And he is tabernacling with us in our tents. By the way, there's a scripture that says that when you're camping in your tent and you go to the bathroom to dig a hole for your waist, 
cover it up. When you're done using the bathroom, cover up your waist so that he will not step in your bathroom while he's walking around your campsite. He is walking among us, literally, not in flesh and blood, but he is taking literal, literal steps upon the grass, literal steps upon our campsites. And the Bible says that he came to tabernacle among us, with us. The word Jesus means God with us. He is with us. He's not just in heaven. He's not a million miles away. He's right here with us. Jesus said before he went back to heaven, he said, I will come to you again. I will not leave you as orphans. And I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you, be an advocate for you, so forth. So he would dine with us if we open the door, welcome him in. Verse 21 He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. Now notice here it does not say the person that he delivers, but rather the person that overcomes. So many people were always wanting God to do everything. Deliver me, deliver me, deliver me, deliver me, deliver me. But we have to put action behind our prayers and behind what is needed. We can't just pray for fish. We have to go fishing. We can pray for fish, but we got to go fishing and catch the fish and pray that he bless the catch. Amen. So he that overcomes, he that fights back against the devil, he that resists sin, the person that resists to the temptation and overcomes the battles, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. Now that's not little in the sense of actually sitting on in a lawn chair or in on a throne. In heaven, he's not saying that there's a literal throne in heaven. You're actually going to sit on right in the same chair that he's sitting on at the same time. It's not that little. But it is saying, spiritually and symbolically, that he's going to give you authority. And that you are going to be in his government, perhaps. And you'll be given power and authority that comes from him, that comes from his power, his authority. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. You don't have two people sitting on the throne, but but if we were to look into heaven with our carnal eyes, if he was to allow us to have a vision or to look into heaven, which he gave John and Ezekiel, we would see to at this point of time. But he's not actual to. And I'll give you an example. You may look into a mirror, and the Bible uses this same analogy. 
you may look into a mirror and see your reflection. But there's not two people there. It's just you. That reflection is only reflection of yourself. Well, the Bible says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So we would see, too, if we could see into heaven, that Jesus is the reflection of the Father. And he is the Father. Now, once we get to new heaven, new earth, we'll be able to see only one. Because the manifestation of sin, too, is just for our carnalities. You have to speak to children in a childlike manner. And he soon feeds us a little at a time. He manifests himself to us right now in a way that we need for the moment. But once we are turned to spirit, we will no longer need to be able to see him in two ways. We're to see him one way. Now it says here in verse 22, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And that means that you need a spiritual hearing, not just a literal physical eardrum, but a spiritual ear to listen. And that's the Holy Ghost. You need the Holy Ghost as your transmitter, as your receptor, as your receiver. Through the Holy Ghost, you're tuned in to the frequency of that sound of his word. If you have tuned your heart and if you have tuned your mind to the frequency of his speech, how do you tune tune your mind and your heart? And to pick up the signal of the voice and audible voice of God. How do you how do you do that? For one thing, you have to turn down the noise of the world, television and video games and uh, conspiracy theories and fake websites, false websites, false prophets, false ministers, Babylon, false churches, false preachers. You have to tune down the noise and tune in and turn up the volume of God. Fasting, prayer, reading the Bible, worshiping him with risen hands, raising your hands up into the skies to worship him. These things, as well as abstaining from sin, removing sin from your life, because the Holy Ghost does not like to come into a dirty temple and your body is a temple, a building, a tent for him to dwell in. He does not like a filthy tent of your body. So the cleaner that you live for him, the more that he will feel comfortable of putting more and more and more of himself into you over time. So you have to continue to clean the dirt out of your life for him to continue to come in more and more. And that's a process over the years. It's not a one-day thing. And that's what we learned through the Days of Unleavened Bread. After you take that Passover of wine and bread of communion, then you have seven days that follow the Passover, the day, seven days of unleavened bread, when we fast from leavening, from baking soda, mm-hmm. from things that have leavening ingredients in there, 
And that leavening represents sin because the Bible says that. Don't you know that a little leaven puffs up the whole lump? It represents sin. So we can have a spiritual ear. Now let's go over to chapter 5 now. Chapter 5, verse 1. Revelation 5, verse 1, I saw, John said, I saw in this vision, I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. Now, I don't mean to read this whole thing here. I meant, let's just go to verse, uh, let's see, let's see what verse we need to go to. Very distracting with a bunch of children hollering and screaming behind me, so it's very distracting. Let's just read verse 10. Revelation 5, verse 10. You have made them, talking about us, a kingdom. God is making us a government, a kingdom, and priests to our theos, to our God, and they, meaning us, will reign upon the earth. It doesn't say that we will reign in heaven because once we go up there for the marriage supper, we're only up there 41 and a half days, then we come back down forever upon the earth. We're going to reign on this earth. Heaven is God's abode. The earth is our abode. We're going to reign. Underline that word reign. That means rule. We're going to have power and authority in God's government. We are. If we overcome, if we pass the test. And we're going to be leaders and rulers in the government over a civilization, over people. Because in the thousand-year millennium, when Jesus comes back, that first thousand years upon the earth, Jesus is going to establish his government, his kingdom, his laws upon the earth, where there's going to be humans, flesh and blood humans, that made it through the great tribulation and through the wrath. That's very clear because Zechariah 14 tells you that Egypt is still with Baal. And because uh, Ezekiel 39 talks about people burying the dead for seven months and burning weapons for seven years. And that type of activity is activity of human labor. So from different verses we know that there will still be flesh and blood, human people upon the earth during the thousand-year millennium. And But the saints who return to spirit and call up will be kings and priests in the kingdom of God ruling upon those humans. And then again, in the hundred years that comes after that thousand years, the spiritual people that were called up in the first resurrection will continue to reign and rule over flesh and blood human beings. And in the hundred years, 
the spiritual saints will be ruling over the people that rise in the second resurrection. Because the second resurrection will be a flesh and blood resurrection. We're going to read that here in a few minutes. For now, let's turn to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 9. It says in verse 9, which in the black and white print edition is page 230, Verse 9, but you are a chosen race or nation, talking about all people who get truly saved, a royal priesthood, meaning that he has called all of us to be ministers in one way or another. He only calls certain people to be pastors. He only calls certain people to be apostles. He only calls certain people to be prophets. He only calls certain people to be evangelists. He only calls certain people to be prophets. He only calls some certain people to be deacons. He only calls certain people to be deaconesses. But we're all called to be a servant of people. And the word minister means servant. That you are ministering to someone. That you are serving someone. A minister is a servant. That's what the word means. And we're all called to be servants of one another. That's what we learn also on Passover night, when we wash each other's feet. Because that's commanded in the book of John, that we wash one another's feet on Passover night after we take the communion. So, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for Theo's own possession, so that he may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Michael, that verse is for you. Amen. But it is for all of us. But Jesus is also especially speaking to Michael with this verse in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, that he has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen. Verse 10, for you once were not a people. When we're lost, the Bible calls us dogs. And the reason it calls us dogs is it's not because it's cruel, not because God is cruel. He's not. But because when we're lost, when we are not saved, we do act like dogs. You take, for example, the homosexuals, how they smell each other's butts and uh, 
ever homosexual is like a dog on his uh, on her heat, a dog in heat, uh, humping everything that moves. And I'm not trying to be cruel or mean or hateful, but I'm speaking the truth, and I know what I'm talking about. I've been there. I lived, uh, did live a homosexual death style for many years. So I know what I am talking about. They act like dogs. And not only homosexuals, but even your other people, straight people, heterosexuals, in the bar scene looking to get laid, one night stand, and so forth, and other people as well, in different ways, different characteristics. And verse 10 says that at one time you were not a people, and we were not gathered under his kingdom. We were lost, we were astray, we were lost in the woods, we were lost in Babylon, we were lost in Egypt, we were lost in Sodom and Galora, we were lost in the chaos of this world. We were not a people. We were wanderers, wandering away on a broad way of destruction and not on the narrow path. But now you are the people of fields the people of God, the people of Jesus Christ. And that is special. Really, really special. You are the people of God. You are the people of Theos. Now, you had not received mercy. But now, you have received mercy. Verse 11. Beloved, beloved, I urge you, as foreigners and pilgrims in this world, we're foreigners to this world, we're different, we're strange to this world, and we're pilgrims in this kingdom upon this earth to abstain or to avoid fleshly lust, which wages a war against the soul. That's verse 11 then. Verse 12, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Now, in the New Testament, many times it uses the word Gentiles as a symbol lost people. And the reason it does that is because originally God called, or at one time, I won't say originally, but in the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their children, God called those particular tribes upon the earth to be his people. He didn't call the Egyptians at that time. He didn't call the Saudi Arabians at that time, and certain other people. But he did call the children of Jacob, Israel, the Jews, the Dans, Denmark, the forefathers of America, the forefathers of the British Empire, as his nation and as his people. Now, other people were welcome to join. Regardless of their race, regardless of their nation, regardless of their tribe, regardless of their location. Other people were welcome to join. And when they joined, 
his nation, his people. They had to come and live with Israel, with his people. They had to come together and fellowship together, be of one mind, be of one accord, keep the same laws, keep the same commandments, and they had to be baptized. Even in Old Testament times, you had to be baptized. And they called it, even at that time in the Old Testament, they called it being born again when you got baptized. History shows that. And that once you got baptized, you had to repent, you had to change your ways, and you was considered part of the family. Even at that time, you would, you would be considered a spiritual Israelite. And that's the way it is today, too. But now when we get baptized, something extra happens. We receive his Holy Ghost, the spirit of him that died and rose from the dead. That did not apply in Old Testament times. The Holy Spirit dwelled among people, but there wasn't the death and the resurrection yet. There wasn't the blood atonement for our sins yet. And so we use the term Holy Ghost rather than the Holy Spirit to represent that there was a major event in history that applied the blood to his spirit that God bled and died for us and rose again from the dead. Now verse 12 Keep your behavior excellent among the lost people so that in the thing in which you, they slander you as evildoers, because they will, when they see that you have changed your life, when they see that you're no longer keeping Christmas and Easter and Sunday, when they see that you believe in Jesus and speak about Jesus and you speak the truth, they're going to slander you, speak against you, false accusations against you. Keep your behavior excellent, not just good, But verse 12 says, keep your behavior excellent among the lost people so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, your good works, as they observe them, glorify Theos in the day of visitation, meaning in the day that they see the Lord or in the day that they get saved, that they may speak well of you. Like Michelle. You know, that we keep our behavior right so that lost people can still speak excellent of us, but there will still be times that they slander us too, and it says that. So there will be good times and bad times. Verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, meaning government, organization of government, rather to a king, as the one in authority, or to the governors, as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and the praise of those who do right, or to the governors sent by him. Verse 15, for this is the will of Theos, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. So, it is saying that even even though you may disagree with Trump or Obama or Clinton or President of China, Russia, South Korea, whoever, that we still got to obey the law most of the time. 
Now, there is such a thing as voting people out. And there's also a time for revolution because God was behind the American Revolution. God was behind that. So there, there are certain times for war. The Bible says there's time for peace and time for war. And, but in general, in general, when it's not God's time for revolution, when it's not time for rebellion and so forth, in general, we're supposed to obey man's laws. So this, a lot of people are getting caught up in the Hebrew Roots movement that they don't believe that we have to get a driver license, you don't have to pay your taxes, you don't, this and this, this and that. They don't believe in any human government. Why are they not reading this verse? And even when you point it out to them, they reject it and throw it out the window. And they use excuses. Well, this is not really our government. They, these are people that took over the government unfairly and so forth. Bullcrap. They're in the White House. They're in the governor's mansion. They're in the PlayStation. They are the people in power. Obey. Unless they are telling you to break God's law. Look at Daniel. He did respect, honor, and obey Nebuchadnezzar's government, except when they told him, do not pray. So we are to obey government unless they're telling us to do something that's against God's law. Of course, then, the Bible even says to obey God and not man in that circumstance. We always have to obey God first above anything, above any man, any man's government. But think about this now. Why does God tell us to obey man's government, even though God knows that man's government is corrupt, it's not perfect, far from it, it's corrupt, it's sinful, that he told us, knowing that we'll be reading it, in this evil generation, that we are to submit ourselves. He is wanting us to learn how to submit ourselves, how to be humble, how to be servants, how to be ministers of one another, how to love, even when it's hard and difficult to love. We were at Walmart the other day, and we asked for assistance where something was, from a young man, and it's very, 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 very clear he's homosexual. But did we slap him in the face? Literally? No. Did we verbally abuse him? No. We showed him absolutely no disrespect at all. We treated him just like a spiritual brother in Jesus Christ. We do not hate sinners. And God does not hate sinners. We are to love all people. Now, that doesn't mean you have to condone their actions. They don't come in our house holding hands. Hey, if we have a homosexual neighbor or homosexual relative or any kind of other sin, adultery, whatever, hey, come in, eat with me, whatever. But, or employ them in a job. Okay, fine. But don't come in my house 
telling me about your gay marriage or holding hands or kissing or pushing all that sin in my face. That is a difference. Amen. Amen. So we have got to learn how to love people but not condone sin. And when you're a preacher, you've got to preach very, very, very boldly. Speak the truth and expose sin. Now, we're learning to submit ourselves to man's government because we have to learn how to serve. And you can't learn how to be a ruler or a leader or a king without first learning how to serve. World Watchers God was real excellent with that. I remember at the Feast of Tabernacles, some of the first feasts I went to, that they had everybody opportunities that you could sign up for different jobs that had to be done, roping off the handicapped section or that section or this section, putting the reserve signs on the seats, so forth. Different jobs that had to be accomplished, and they was good at teaching people how to serve. And foot washing helps in that as well. Now it says here in verse 17, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear Theos, honor the king, servants be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. So when these people who believe that we're supposed to be sovereign citizens and not obey man's government, they always use the excuse that they're corrupt or they're wicked or they don't agree with the laws that they're making. But this says that we're supposed to obey them even when that government and their laws are unreasonable, even if we disagree with it, as long as it's not going against God's law. So when it comes to us paying insurance rates that fund abortion, yeah, no, we can resist that because that's breaking God's law. But as far as wearing seat belts when you're in the front seat or whatever state you may be living in according to that state's laws, even if you disagree with the seat seatbelt law, if that is the law in your state, you have to fasten your seatbelt, so forth. Government is there, man's government is there to serve us, even when they're wrong. They were there to serve us, to protect us, to lead us, to help us. The seatbelt law, even though it may be tight, uncomfortable, it is there to save lives, and it does save lives. It accomplishes the goal in which it was meant to. So forth. Now, we're learning about God's government. We have to learn even about man's government, to understand God's government. Mm-hmm. You may not always agree with every law that God has. It might not make sense to you. You might say, well, if I was God, I would do this, I would do that, which is a very dangerous way to think. I'd be scared to death lightning. Lightning would hit me if I say something like that. The people all over the place, all over the place are saying that. If I was God, it'd be different. They have no fear of God. 
And a lot of these people claim to be Christians. But the way they talk has no honor and respect for our career. Let's go to the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6. Page 169 in the black and white paper edition. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 2. One Corinthians six verse two. First Corinthians chapter six. Okay. Verse two. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? The whole world. Everybody. Us, the saints. If we make it into the first resurrection, we're going to judge people. But yet, sinners, including sinful Christians, are always saying, you have no right to judge me. This verse says different. I'm a king. I'm a priest. I'm part of royalty. I am a royal nation, I have power, I have authority, and I am a judge. Amen. The Bible says that we are to judge righteously, the Bible says, in another verse. This verse says, don't you know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is judged by you, are you not competent? to constitute even the smallest law courts. Verse 3, do you not know that we will judge angels and how much more matters of this life? One of these days, it'll be at the great white throne judgment Mm -hmm. at the end of the 1,100 years when Jesus separates the goats from the sheep Goats on the left, the wicked people, also known as dogs in the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. The sheep on the right, which are the, are the people that did get saved in the 100 years. After the 1,000 years, there's the 100 years. People that get saved during that 100 years will be on the right, and they're called sheep. At that time, or somewhere around that time frame, there will also be some angels that will stand in front of a court of law mm-hmm. with some of us on thrones judging angels. Mm-hmm. Now, in order for us to make right decisions, right judgment, wise judgment, we have to know what we're talking about. Yeah. We have to have discernment, knowledge, intelligence, wisdom, and ability. Now, in order to get to that point to where we are qualified to be judges, we have to know the law. Mm-hmm. And we have to have already lived it and seen the world. We have to have experience behind us. And that's why we have to go through all the suffering, as well as many other reasons. 
We go through all the trials, all the testing, all the sufferings of this life so that we have experience under our belt. And by the time we get to where we are standing in front of angels and people judging them, that we will at that time know what we're talking about. And we will be able to render righteous judgment. And when the devils and the people say that God is not fair, that God hates, and that God is not true and his law is not good, and and I promise you, you're going to hear those words, both in this life and when that happens. You're going to be rightfully able to say, no, you are a liar. God is right. God is just. God is love. And you had ample opportunity. Mm -hmm. You chose evil. You chose darkness. Mm -hmm. And you did not choose light. You chose darkness and not life. And you are deserving of the judgment of eternal death at the second death at the lake of fire. And we will render judgment and we will say, be cast into the lake of fire. And they will be cast into the lake of fire, which is the very unhindered presence of God himself. And God's presence will consume away the wicked, even fallen angels and even the devil himself will die, be destroyed, and never be resurrected again. But those on the right, the sheep, those that got saved in this life or Uh in the thousand years or in the hundred years, they will be turned to spirit and be saved and live forever in paradise. Amen. Don't you know that you were born to be a king, to be a queen, to be a judge, to be holy, to be royalty. This is your destiny. Your destiny is to live and not die. But some people sell their birthright. Amen? Amen. Now let's look at Romans 8. Over here a few pages to the left. Romans chapter 8, and this is page 159 or 158 in the black and white paper edition, page 158, Romans chapter 8, Romans 8 verse 16, Romans 8 verse 16. The Spirit himself of the Holy Ghost himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of Theos. He created us. But not only that he created us, but that we got born again, entered his kingdom through that new birth, through baptism, and received his Holy Ghost in us as a conception and as a birth We receive his power, his conception within us. And in that way, not just in creation, 
that in a new creation, we become a new creature, and he recreates us, renews us, recreates us, and in this way, we are the children of Theos. This ain't talking about through Adam and Eve. This is talking through, about through, through Jesus. We are the children of God. Verse 17, and if children, hires that we have inherited things through his death, that we are hires also, hires of Theos, and fellow hires with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. To be a Christian, a true Christian, you have to suffer. Why? Because you have to learn lessons. You have to learn not to touch the hot frying pan. You have to learn not to wear flip-flops when you're riding a motorcycle. Now, you have to learn your lessons, unless you want to break your toes and, and, and scrub all your skin off your feet and everything. But we have to learn our lessons. And we suffer with him. We're crucified with him. We're persecuted with him. That we may also be glorified with him. Now, when Jesus was still in the flesh, he said to the Father, he prayed to the Father, that he would rise back up to heaven and be glorified with him again. And that means turned to spirit and be given power, a, a powerful presence in, in a spiritual realm and be turned completely to spirit, that we may be turned completely spirit and be given power. At that time, verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us or in us. So regardless of how bad it gets, regardless of how bad it gets in the future, think about the kingdom. Think about the kingdom. kingdom. Put your eyes on Jesus. Put your eyes toward paradise. Put your eyes toward your reward. Your suffering your persecution, the hatred of the world may be great against you, but the sufferings of this present life are nothing to be compared with what we have waiting for us in paradise. It's going to blow your mind. It's going to be awesome. Awesome, dude. Awesome. Dude, it. Awesome. Verse 18, if I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Verse 19, for the anxious longing of the creation, talking about the moon, Mars, Jupiter, Pluto, different galaxies, different solar systems, they are waiting for us for the anxious longing of the creation. Those planets, those universes, are eagerly, waits eagerly for the revealing of the suns of Theos. Those planets, those stars, those solar systems were not made in vain. They were made to be our crowns, our jewels, our property, our inheritance. So when you look up in the stars at night, wonder which star is yours, which solar system is yours, which planet is yours, which moon is yours. There are literally Billions upon billions of stars. It's not just decoration to look at. That's property reserved for us in the heavens, in the sky. 
Amen. Some people will be granted an acre of land. The Bible teaches this. Some people will be granted two acres, three acres, four acres, five acres, a town, a city, a state, a nation. Some people will be granted a planet, a moon, a solar system, a galaxy. Different people, different rewards according to your works. Amen. Amen. Now, you may be saved by grace because we were all deserving of death because of our sins we committed. And in that way, he loved us and is merciful to us to give us a way out and escape. So by grace we are saved does not mean that you're not supposed to obey him. But he was merciful to us, gave us a way of escape, gave us a way of salvation. But we have to repent, and the Bible says that. And repent means to stop doing what is wrong and start doing what is right. The word repent literally means turn around, change path. Stop going the wrong way and start going the right way. Stop going the broad way to destruction and start going the narrow path to righteousness and paradise. Turn around. Repent. You have to obey, and our rewards are going to be based upon what we have done. How much have you done? Was you lazy? Was you a couch potato Christian? Or did you just say, did you just say, all I have to do is believe? Did you feed the poor? Did you visit the sick? Did you write the prisoners? Did you witness? Did you distribute flyers? Did you tell people about the Alpha and Omega Bible? Did you speak about Jesus' name? Did you, what did you, what did you do and what did you not do? Now it says here in verse 20, verse 20, for the creation, the world, the universe, was subjected to vanity. Not willingly, but because of him, Satan, who subjected it in hope that he would overthrow the earth. So the creation, the moon, the planets, and the solar systems, originally did not look the way that they look today. But they were subjected to vanity, to corruption. So the moon originally did not have all the creators, quite the creatures that it has now, these holes in the ground. <laughs> they, the, the, the moon did not originally have all these creatures, these holes in the, in the ground that they have now. Even Middlesbrough, Kentucky, here on Earth, Middlesbrough, Kentucky, a, few miles, a couple of hours north of us, is based, built, that city is built in a crater, a hole in the ground that was made by an asteroid meteorite impact. But it did not originally be there, that hole in the ground where they built that city. So this earth was made subject to corruption by, not willingly, but because of Satan rebelling against God. Satan said, God is not fair. Satan said, God is not just. If I were God, I would do it 
death thing. That's what Satan said. Satan said, I can do a better job. I should be God. The very words that your friend says, and maybe you may have said, is the very words that put everything, all the misery in this world into action. That sin was even before Adam and Eve sin. Way, 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 way before Adam and Eve sin. And who Satan subjugated or corrupted this world in hope, in hope. What did Satan hope for? He hoped that he would be God. Verse 21, that the creation itself also will be set free from its bondage to corruption into the liberty of the children of the children, glory of the children of Theos. So one of these days in the future, talking about after the great white throne judgment, the creation will be delivered into the hands of the spiritual saints. And we will own it and inherit the universe. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. So the earth is moaning, moaning. The earth is moaning. Some people have heard those moans. You can you can put sound instruments to the earth and hear sounds in there. The earth and other planets are moaning, traveling in, in childbirth, ready to give birth to a new creature, a new creation. Amen. So things are going to change. Verse 23, and not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of the release of our bodies. That we too, this verse says, that not, not only does the earth groan for deliverance, but we need to be groaning for deliverance. That's what this verse is saying. So we need to desire the fullness of the kingdom of what is to come. We don't need to be desiring to restore America or Canada or Korea. We need to be ushering in God's kingdom that we may inherit that kingdom. That kingdom has come. Let's go to Matthew 19 now. And I'm sorry about all the noise in the background. Uh, bunch of hooligans out and about cussing their kids like dogs. Um, they need to be reported to child services, and the police needs to be called out, and that man needs to be held down to the ground and his teeth busted out. Now, you may think that that is cruel, but it's exactly what needs to happen to a man that cusses his children with the F words. It's exactly what needs to happen to such a person. And if we are not going to be judges, and if we are not going to take power and authority in our own hands, and if we are not going to render judgment upon this earth, then we are not worthy. We have to recognize evil. We have to recognize evil and know what it is. Amen. We know what is evil, and we don't need to kid ourselves. And Matthew 19, so we apologize for all the noise in the background, and if you're hearing cuss words in the background, 
So we apologize for that, and we appreciate your patience, your cooperation, and forbearance and long-suffering with us to endure all this, to stay with us, to continue to hear the Word of God and to learn about God's government and God's kingdom. And in God's government and God's kingdom, there would be people uh, whipped, tied up to posts, and whipped. There would be such a thing in God's kingdom. It was in the time of David, in the time of Solomon, and other righteous kings. And that is why America is so wicked today, and all these nations upon the earth today, especially in Western modern society, is they give people a slap on the wrist. They put them in a cage for one night, one month, one year, or three years, and think they're going to change. The only thing that changes about them is they become more evil. Yeah. If you take a man and tie him up and back whip him, he's going to think twice about doing that sin, breaking the law. We need to return back to the agent. The Bible even says, seek the old past. We need to return back to the old ways. No electric, no phones, no microwaves, no stoves. We need to return back to the old days. And we are going to, whether we like it or not. Whether we like it or not, everything about this life is going to change. Everything. For the better. For the better. Even if it takes bringing the Muslims in to get us under control. People are like, why is God going to bring in the Muslims? Why is he going to bring in the Russians? Why is he going to bring in the Chinese? They're wicked. They're atheists. They're Muslims. So, 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 and so on. Pointing the finger at their sins. Look at our sins. We are son and the Lord. We deserve what we get. We need barbaric people to come in and get us under control. We need a Muslim communist dictatorship army to come in and and take the child abuser and tie them up and whip them. We need that to get this population under control. It may sound cruel, but it is what's needed. It's the only thing that's going to fix society. Amen. Because society is out of control. Now, Matthew 19, verse 28. Matthew 19, verse 28. And Jesus said to them, Amen. I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration, that means another life. That's what that means. Another life, another generation in the future. When the Son of Mankind, Jesus, will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples, his his, uh, students, his congregation that he was teaching. And he's saying, in the next life, in the second resurrection, is what he's talking about, in that hundred years, you all are going to be given power and authority. You're going to be judges. You're going to be kings. You're going to be rulers in that life. Now, his disciples, 
that walked with him in that day and in that time. Uh, some of them may rise in the first resurrection, perhaps all of them, except for Judas. Uh, some of them, some of them might have to wait to the second resurrection. Peter, especially, may have to wait to the second resurrection. I don't know. You know, he might make it to the first because there's a lot of things that happened after uh, the book of Acts that's not recorded or was lost or I've not read yet or something. So we don't know exactly how much Peter improved. His writings were pretty good in 1 Peter and 2 Peter. But everything we read about Peter in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in Acts, man, that guy, I have to have doubts about whether he's going to make the first resurrection or rather be the second resurrection. But I'm confident that he'll make it into paradise. Confident. Very, very, very confident. And at some time or another, whether it's the first thousand years or in the hundred years, according to this right here, Peter will. All of his disciples, except for perhaps Judas, will be given power and authority of rulership and government. But not just those disciples, but us today. Because the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verse 10, that we read a while ago, was not talking to those disciples. They had already been dead for decades, mm-hmm. or maybe just a few years, some of them. But this was talking to us in the book of Revelation that we should be king mm-hmm. as well. So there's going to be a government upon this earth, and there's going to be different rulers, not just Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus won't be the only one in that government. It will also be according to this verse, those disciples of Jesus Christ, and according to Revelation 5, verse 10, that we read a while ago, also us in that government. Because when you have government, you don't just have the king. You also have the assistant king, the queen, the vice president, the governors, the mayors. You have a whole uh, system of government. Let's go to the book of Ezekiel. Over there in the Old Testament volume, Ezekiel, Ezekiel 37. Black and white edition, page 442. Ezekiel 37, verse 1. Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37, verse 1. 
this in Ezekiel 37 goes to the time of the second resurrection. This is after a thousand years after Jesus comes back. The only people that rose in the first resurrection are only the people that got saved in the New Testament time era from the time of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the time that they was walking with Jesus, learning from Jesus, baptizing people with Jesus, from that time until the actual first resurrection. Only people that get truly saved in the new covenant time era. And even then, even if you get truly saved in the new covenant time era, you're not guaranteed to automatically make it in the first resurrection. To make it in the first resurrection, you have to be truly saved and truly baptized. Not baptized by a Babylonian preacher, but baptized the correct manner in the name of Jesus, not in the Trinity, not backwards, but forward. And you have to repent. You have to keep the seventh day. You have to keep all Ten Commandments. You have to keep the holy days, all of them. And you have to have true love in your heart, true love in your mind. You have to be submissive, submissive to God, submissive to man's government. You have to follow God's will, go where he tells you to go, when he tells you to go. You've got to be respectful to God. And you have to grow in maturity because there's not going to be immature people in the kingdom because no corruption can enter in paradise. You have to, before you turn to spirit, reach perfection. Before you turn to spirit, perfection. It's not impossible. Without the Holy Ghost, it's impossible. But with the Holy Ghost, nothing is impossible to us, the Bible says. With him, through him, it is not impossible to reach perfection over time, over time. Removing the leavening, removing sin, removing corruption. Now, in Ezekiel 37, at the time of the second resurrection, at the end of the thousand years, this is what happens at the second resurrection. Ezekiel 37, verse 1, And the hand of Jesus came upon me, and Jesus brought me forth by the Spirit and set me in the midst of the plain of the field, and it was full of human bones. And he led me around about them in every way, all the way around it means. And behold, there were very many bones on the face of the field, very dry. So these are old bones. And he said to me, son of man, will these bones live? And I said, O Lord Theos, you know this, whether they will live or not. And he said to me, prophesy unto these bones. And you shall say to them, you dry bones, hear the word of, of Jesus. Thus saith Jesus to these bones, Behold, I will bring upon you the breath of life, and I will lay signets as part of the body within, under your skin, the hose of bones together. 
I will lay sickness upon you, and I will bring up flesh upon you. This is a flesh and blood resurrection, not to spirit, but to a new physical body. And will spread skin upon you, and will put my spirit into you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am Jesus. So I prophesied as Jesus commanded me, and it came to pass while I was prophesying that behold, there was a shaking, and the bones approached each one to his joint. And I looked, and behold, signets and flesh grew upon them, and the skin upon them came upon them above, but there was not breath in them yet. And he said to me in verse 9, prophesy to the wind. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith Jesus, come from the four winds, from the north, the south, the west, east, and breathe upon these dead men and let them live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath entered into them, and they lived, and stood upon their feet a very great congregation. Now remember in the Old Testament, it called the children of Israel, all 12 tribes, a congregation. There was the foreshadowing of the church. Verse 11, and Jesus spoke to me, saying, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. What that means is all 12 tribes, not just the Jews, but also Manasseh, the United States, Ephraim, the British Empire, Dan, Denmark, Reuben, so forth. They are the whole house of Israel, all 12 tribes. These are Old Testament people. Only New Testament people rise in the first resurrection. The second resurrection is Old Testament people are resurrected. Jesus said in the book of Matthew, he said that the last shall be first and the first shall be last. That means the last people living on earth in the end time will be first in the resurrection. But the first, the Old Testament people that came first shall be last in the last resurrection, the second resurrection. So this is Old Testament people, but it won't be just only Old Testament people. It will also be anyone and everyone of all generations, of all history, at any time, at any time that has ever existed or ever will exist, who did not yet rise in the first resurrection. So anybody that does not rise in the first resurrection automatically rises as flesh and blood human being in the second resurrection after a thousand years. Now, this is not being born from the womb again. This is not reincarnation. Reincarnation is a false doctrine of the devil that says that you are born through a woman again. That's not what is occurring. This is a resurrection of bones of skin coming up out of the grave. This is a resurrection from the dead, not birth, not reincarnation. You're not coming back as another person. You're coming back as the same person, but with a new body. Now, this new body will not be capable of dying until we get to the white, white throne judgment. Because uh, Isaiah 65, verse 20, promises us that there will no longer be an infant of days or a child that has not lived to be 100. 
and even the sinner shall live to be a hundred. So, at that time in the hundred years, after this happened, after the second resurrection, there'll be 100 years that nobody can die. They cannot commit suicide. They cannot commit murder. They can't die of cancer. They can't die of car wreck. Nobody can die in the 100 years. And the reason for that is this will be their very last chance, their very last opportunity. And so there won't be any excuse at the end of the 100 years when we stand at the great white throne judgment seat of Jesus Christ in Matthew 25 that we can't say, I died young. I didn't have time to get right. I didn't have time to learn. There ain't going to be those excuses because death would have been impossible in that last 100 years there. God is fair. Amen. God is fair. So this is all 12 tribes, but it's also anybody that did not rise in the first resurrection. The reason we know that is because Revelation 20 Talking about the same time period, says the rest of the dead. The rest of the dead. That's everybody. The rest of the dead. Anybody that did not rise in the first. So we continue here. Let's go to verse 12. Therefore prophesy and say, Thus saith Jesus, Behold, I will open your tombs, or graves, and will bring you out of your tombs, and will bring you into the land of Israel. So this also includes people that were taken captive to Assyria, died in Assyria, taken captive to Egypt, died in Egypt, taken captive to Babylon or Rome or China or Russia or Syria or Iran, wherever anybody died. If they were physically of the 12 tribes of Israel, they're going to be brought back to Israel because God promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that they would be in that land. Israel has a right to the Middle East, not just the tiny little piece of land that they're on now, but even the land of Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, that belongs to Israel. God promised them that would be their land. They have a right to fight for it. They have a right to live there. And He's going to bring them back to that land. Now it says, verse 13, And you shall know that I am Jesus when I have opened your graves, that I may bring up my people from their graves. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you upon your own land, and you shall know that I am Jesus. I have spoken and will do it, says Jesus. Verse 15, And the word of Jesus came to me, saying, Son of man, take for yourself a rod, and write upon it, Write these words, Judah and the children of Israel and his adherents, those that belong to the tribe of Judah and those that follow, those that be adopted into Judah. And you shall take for yourself another rod, and you shall inscribe upon it these words. For Joseph, the rod of Ephraim. Joseph here is, is talking about, uh, even though he gave his wife gave birth to both Manasseh and Ephraim, but Joseph in this context is talking about Manasseh and the rod of Ephraim and all the children of Israel that belong to him, all 12 tribes. So it separates two rods, two sticks, two rods, whatever they are, 
one rod says Judah, that's for the Jews. And then the other one says Israel, or Joseph and, and Ephraim. Because in Old Testament times, they got divided. You had, at times, you had the Jews at war against their brothers, Israel. So you had the house of Israel and you had the house of Judah. They got divided. The southern tribes, the tribe of Judah, Levi, and Benjamin, they stayed in Judah, in the land of Judah, during the Assyrian captivity. But the northern ten tribes of Israel got carried away by the nation or the empire of Assyria. They got divided. They're still divided to this day. The Jews living in the Middle East, most of them, and the house of Israel, the northern tribes, living in Australia, South Africa, Canada, the United States, the British Empire. But when this happens, the second resurrection, all those tribes will be regathered together. So that's what's happening here by the symbolism of these two rods, these two rods are being reunited to bring the 12 tribes back together. That's what's going to happen in the second resurrection. And so then it says here, verse 17, you should join them together for yourself so as they should be, uh, so as that they should bind themselves into one stick and they should be in your hand. Verse 18, and it's come to pass when the children of your people shall say to you, will you not tell us what you mean by these things? Verse 19, then shall you say to them, Thus saith Jesus, Behold, I would take the tribe of Joseph, which is the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, that they belong to him, and I will add them to the tribe of Judah, and they shall become one rod in the hand of Judah. Verse 20, And the rods on which you did write shall be in your hand in their presence. Verse 21, And you shall say to them, Thus saith the Lord Jesus, Behold, I will take the whole house of Israel out of the midst of the nations, among whom that they have gone. And I would gather them from all that they are around about. Now, Babylon, the Pentecostal church, the Baptist church, the Catholic church, the Babylonian church system tells you that this has already been fulfilled. They say that this was already fulfilled when the nation of Israel was created again, recreated, renewed, 1948, and so forth. Well, that was only a foreshadowing. You didn't have graves opening. You didn't have people coming out of their graves. You didn't have people coming out of their tomb. And you did not have Israel reunited with the Jews. This has not been fulfilled yet. The renewal of the nation of Israel in the Middle East was a great thing, wonderful thing, good thing. God wanted it to happen. God was behind it. Jesus was behind it. But it was only a taste, only a foretaste, only a foreshadowing of what is still yet to occur in the future at the second resurrection when all the tribes of Israel will be united. Now, I want you to make some corrections here in the Alpha and Omega Bible. And that's coming up here very soon, so get your ink pen ready. And it says here in verse 22, verse 22, and I will make them a nation in my land, even on the mountains of Israel, and they shall 
have one prince. And there shall be no more two nations. Now that word prince there is a pretty good translation, except for, I think, maybe even better, is if we keep prince, not cross it out, but also right above it or under it, uh, governor, because it can be translated as a governor or a prince. So it's not really a correction, but a little bit, a little, but a little bit of an explanation. It is a ruler, but it's not talking about Jesus. Now Jesus is going to be there, but it's going, it's going to explain itself here that we're also going to have humans that have been turned to spirit in that kingdom. And it's talking about David here. David of Old Testament time being raised in the second resurrection. Right here, this tells you that David is going to rise in the second resurrection. And the reason for that is because David did not live in the new covenant era. He has to come back to life, learn about Jesus, learn about the death, blood, and resurrection, sacrifice of Jesus, the name of Jesus, all kinds of stuff that he has to learn. But he will pass the test. He will be turned to spirit. And he will be a prince, a governor, and a king in the kingdom of God. And it says that they should no longer be two nations, neither shall they be divided any more at all into two kingdoms. Verse 23, that they may no more defile themselves with their idols, and I will deliver them from all their transgressions whereby they have sinned, and I will cleanse them, and they shall be to me a people. Remember, in the book of Peter, that you were not a people, you were not a people, but now you are a people. Well, you shall be to me a people, and I, Jesus, will be to them theos. Now, it says a theos, but you need to cross out the, the letter a because it don't belong there. So just cross out a. I shall be to them theos, it says. Verse 24, and my servant David shall be a prince or a governor in the midst of them. There should be one shepherd of them all, for they should walk in my, it should be M-Y, my orders. Instead of ordinances, it should say orders. So cross out ordinances and put orders right above it. And they should keep my judgments and do them. And they shall dwell in their land, which I have given to my servant Jacob, where their fathers dwell, and they should dwell upon it. And David, my servant, shall be to their prince, be their prince forever. And I will make them a covenant of peace, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will establish my sanctuary, or my tabernacle, in the midst of them forever. Now, when it says sanctuary or tabernacle here, it does not, it is not talking about a temple of stone because Revelation 21 says that there will be no temple in it. That I will be their temple, Jesus said. I will be their temple. He will be our house. We will live in him, in his presence, and we won't need a building made by wood or stone. 
we're not going to have a millennium temple. And we're not going to have a physical temple in paradise other than that we are going to have uh, New Jerusalem. We are going to have a city made of gold and all kinds of minerals. But we're not going to have a church building called a temple. Jesus will be our church building at that time. But there's nothing wrong with having a church building in this life. Because as long as we dwell in flesh, we need protection and shelter from the wind, from the cold, from the rain, and some, a barrier from sound from all the distractions. So it's good to have a church building. So I encourage you to make a note here next to verse 26, at the end of the verse, of verse 26, to make a note that the sanctuary is his presence, his presence. And write down the scripture number for that there in that place. At the end of that verse, you can write down Revelation 21, verses 2 and 3, and verse 22. So again, write down Revelation 21, verse 2 and 3, and verse 22. And then that will be uh, there in your notes there in your Bible. And you can check that out after the services to read that for yourself. Now we continue in verse 27. And it says, My tabernacle, which is his presence, shall be among them, and I will be to them theos. So you can cross out the letter A there. I will be to them theos, and they shall be my people. And the nations shall know that I am Jesus that sanctifies them or makes them holy. When my temple, my sanctuary, my presence is in the midst of them forever. And I'd like for you to write in at the, at the, um, at the end of verse 28, write in the reference for Psalm number 91. Psalm 91. And you can check that out later as well. Now let's go to the book of Daniel, and Daniel will be the last uh, book we'll go, but we're going to check out two chapters in Daniel. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, verse 40. This is page 452 in the black and white paper edition, page 452. Daniel chapter 2, verse 40. Daniel 2, verse 40. Daniel 2, verse 40. Now, God has showed Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar a series of empires, kingdoms, that would come upon the earth. Now, in this verse, it starts talking about the empire that is about to be established soon in our day, in our time, in our lifetime, upon this earth, that's going to be the, the empire 
of what people call the Antichrist. The Bible does not call him the Antichrist. The Bible calls him the son of perdition, the man of lawlessness, the man of sin, the son of destruction, the son of perdition, which means destruction. But Babylon, the false church, calls him the Antichrist. Now, starting in this verse, it's going to tell us about his kingdom of the Antichrist coming upon this earth. Verse 40, a fourth kingdom, which shall be strong as iron, as iron beats to powder and subdues all things, so that it beats to powder and subdues. And whereas you saw the feet and the toes, part of clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet there shall be in it of the strength of iron, as you saw the iron mixed with clay. And whereas the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, part of the kingdom shall be strong, and part of it shall be broken. 43, whereas you saw the iron mixed, and the word mixed there, in the Assyrian translation, of the Targum is the word Eric. Eric. Iron mixed. Iron Eric. With clay. And they should be mingled with the seed of men. Footnote there says, Fallen angels mixing with the bloodline of humans as in the day of Noah. Then the scripture continues, but they shall not cleave together as the iron is not mixed itself with clay. So the end, the king of the end time empire of the feet and toes will be a fallen angel. A sod is a fallen angel. So what this is saying is, in the government kingdom of the Antichrist, a sod, he is going to have some fallen angels in his government. And some of those fallen angels will actually be half human, half fallen angel. Because angels can have sex with humans and breed a half breed. It happens. It happens many, many times. The Bible talks about this. And they are called Nephilim. Half human, half fallen, half demon, half fallen angel. Called Nephilim. And there's going to be such people, such creatures in the kingdom of the Antichrist in our day and in our time. They're already walking upon the earth. Now, verse 44, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven shall come, shall set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and his kingdom shall not be left to another people, but it shall beat to pieces and grind to powder all other kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. So that right there is Jesus comes from heaven with a kingdom, with a government that shall conquer the kingdom of the Antichrist. Now, the Antichrist kingdom will be a worldwide kingdom. The Bible says that all nations will be given to him. The president of Syria will become the king of the United States, of Canada, of Australia, of Korea, of all nations upon the earth. But when Jesus comes with us, we are going to be his army, according to Zechariah 14, 
And according to Revelation 19, we're coming back with him as a army. And Jesus and his army, you and I, will come back to destroy the Russian army, the Chinese army, the Syrian army, the Islamic army, the communist armies. And we would take control of the earth and we would take control of the government upon the entire earth. And our government shall stand forever, forever and forever and forever. Our government will last throughout that first thousand years, but our, first, our government will also continue into the hundred years, and our government will continue into paradise, which is new heaven and new earth, when Jesus recreates the earth, meaning remodels the earth, with the lake of fire. The lake of fire, which is the un, unhindered presence of God, will uh, touch the earth, consume the trees, consume the grass, the Bible says, and will uh, destroy all impurity. Fire purifies. And his fire, his presence upon the earth will purify the earth, destroy wicked people, destroy Satan, destroy fallen angels, destroy Nephilim. And the only thing that shall be left is only people that have been turned to spirit who had reached a level of perfection that they will not corrupt paradise. Verse 45. Whereas you saw that a stone was cut out of a mountain without hands, and it beat to pieces the clay, the iron, the brass, the silver, the gold, the great God is made known to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, what must happen hereafter. And the dream is true, and the interpretation thereof is sure. Amen. So this is going to happen. The government of the United States will not always be here. The government of Canada and Australia and Korea and Nigeria and South Africa and England will not always be here. But the government of God is going to come down upon this earth, conquer and subdue all the evil. And it will be a fist of iron. Revelation 19 says Jesus will rule with a fist of iron because people are out of control as we have witnessed this day. And you can't just say, excuse me, because they will grab me by the throat and I would have to practice a little karate, (laughs) which I do not even know, that I can learn real fast. But we don't want to have a fight right now, but there's a fight coming. There's a fight coming. We're in a war. This war is real. And there's a time coming that we're going to have to do some things we don't want to do. There is a time coming. Everything's going to change. Everything. We might not want to kill a deer. We might not want to kill a turtle. We may not want to kill a squirrel. But there's a time coming for those things. There's a time for war. 
There's a time for peace. There's a time to love. There's a time to hate. There's time to laugh. There's time to cry. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. There's time for all things. There's a time for everything under the sun. We've got a lot of learning to do. We have to unlearn a lot of stuff. Unlearn modern Western society thinking. Unlearn Babylonian teachings, Babylonian thinking, Babylonian customs and Western customs. A lot of unlearning and a lot of learning. It takes practice, it takes time, it takes energy, it takes effort. It takes effort. So, I conclude this message by saying this, that I hope that you will fulfill your destiny, that you will grab your destiny, that you would seize and, and take hold, Paul talked about this, to, to seize, to take hold, to grab onto your crown. Amen. You got to reach out and grab it if you want anything. Reach out and grab it. We are not to be couch potato Christians. We have a kingdom to establish. God took Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1, perhaps Jeremiah 2. God told Jeremiah that I have called you <clears throat> to root out, to pluck up, to destroy, and to build. Thank you for listening today. Thank you for your patience, your forbearance, your long suffering. And I invite you to the last great day coming up Thursday, October the 12th. That will be our next live broadcast Thursday, October 12th at 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. And I invite you to listen to that last great day service, the eighth day of the feast, the last great day, which pictures paradise, <clears throat> new heaven, new earth. Hopefully, God willing, we'll, we'll have uh, more people with us that day. And uh, <clears throat> Uh, I know that in the past few days we've all been busy, a lot to do, setting up campsites and everything. But hopefully we can get some rest uh, in the next few days, get some rest and settle down and and, uh, have some activities for the feast, uh, do some things. Uh, It's supposed to rain for us starting tonight rain a couple of days, two or three days, and and we'll deal with it. Uh, so, um, thank you for listening today. And all of this, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.